0: Uh, Well, let's dive in. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to ask you real quick, would you stand with me to your feet in honor of the reading of God's Word? And we're going to read a little bit together out loud off the screen. I love the public reading of Scripture. Uh, How many are thankful for the Word of God? Has it changed your life so far? I mean, for real, right? It changes the way we think. And the way we process, I don't want to think like me. My thinking is faulty. I want to think like God. And his word transforms my thinking, renews my mind. And it's always the external auditor on reality that's correct, that I can trust. It's not somebody's YouTube video they forwarded to me. It's God's eternal word, and I'm so thankful for that. But we're going to read a very familiar passage uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And we're going to read it out of the NASB because, well, just a preference on this particular passage for me. But the NASB is like... Probably right up there as the, one of the most literal word-for-word Bible translations possible in English, but you think, oh, literal, I want that, but it's really clunky, because literal is typically clunky. It's not smooth like something. So you're going to find your lips aren't going to want to move the right way, but uh, I chose this anyway, and, uh, but I want us to read this together, and uh, let it soak in your heart, and then we're going to dive in and, and uh, do a deep dive in the Word of God. End in prayer time? Sound like a deal? By the way, thank God, many baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time. And there was a couple that uh, it's God's washing over them. He's in the process of filling them. The new language hasn't come yet. That's no big deal. It always comes. And how many of you, you spent extra time in the Lord's presence before that new language came? And that's awesome. But how many know once a language comes, you don't stop seeking him anyway, right? So it's just a part of chronically staying open to him. All right, let's read together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank You again for Your Word. And I just pray tonight that Your Word will not only change the way we think, but it will change our goals. It will change our desires. I thank You, Lord, that You have gifted every church by Your Spirit Help us to not only discover, but help us to learn and grow and operate in these gifts so that we can see your kingdom come not just with human effort alone, but with the supernatural assistance of your Holy Spirit. Love your church, Lord, through your gifts, I pray. And Lord, even right now, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that's battling with pain or issues like that in their body, and it's just really difficult to be here tonight. I pray that right now they would begin to sense your hand being laid upon their shoulder right now. May the healing grace of Jesus just sneak up and heal people all during this teaching time. We just welcome you, Lord. You have full access to us. Minister your grace and love. Amen. 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 You can be seated if you like, and uh, let's dive in for a little bit. So let's talk about Corinth for just a few moments. So last night, I referenced that um, Ephesus was Paul's most successful season of ministry. Just kind of as a side note, it kind of cracks me up. Um, a lot of people really reference Mars Hill, Paul's teaching in Mars Hill as being an apex of something. Mars Hill is the least successful recorded moment in Paul's ministry in the Bible, Right? Nothing apparently happened. I mean, you know, who knows? Uh, Perhaps seeds planted, what have you, but, you know, it didn't work. He never went and appealed to them based on their unknown God, again, trying to appeal to people that aren't saved by their deities. And he never did that. He's like, that didn't work. And it's, it's always funny to me because there are a lot of people that, that try to name their church or their ministry after Paul's least successful moment of ministry. That's fine, you know, whatever. Um, no, I'm not thinking of getting down on anyone, but it's just kind of interesting. A lot of people think, Mars Hill, that's a big deal. We need to appeal to the culture But remember what Paul told the Corinthian church. When I came to you, I didn't appeal to your culture. I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom. Instead, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men but rather on the power of the spirit. And we think kind of like wisdom of man, well that's just like, you know, whatever. But that's a very specific thing in the Greco-Roman culture. They looked for wisdom for truth bombs, for mic drop statements, you know, Socratic and Platonic wisdom. They looked for people that had higher learning and and that was what the, how the uh, Jew or the uh, Greco-Roman culture viewed God at work through divine wisdom or Brand new thought process. Wow, that has to, wisdom comes from the gods, and that's kind of what they did. And that's what they were looking for. But Paul said, listen, when I came instead, I brought the power of the Spirit to bear. And this is interesting. Um, you know, we want to always be sensitive to the culture around us. But how many know that the gospel is also a little abrasive? actually a lot abrasive you got a problem right you know and and uh, and so this there's there are you know sensitivities and nuances to all of this but paul could have gone to ephesus and he could have appealed to their culture, and he could have done all these different things and schmoozed his way in, and 99 more ways to a more successful, happy life kind of a thing. And, but instead, he brought the gospel when he came to Corinth, when he came to Ephesus, uh, in each stage of his ministry. And so he wasn't afraid to tell the truth. How many know we need to be not afraid to tell the truth? But as Jesus said, we also need to be as wise as a serpent, And harmless as a dove, right? And so there's a lot of balance and nuance and all these things. I want you to kind of keep that thought, shelve that, but let it kind of be the grid through which you hear some of this stuff we're going to dive into. So Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. He planted a church, assisted by, anybody remember? Husband and wife team? Priscilla and Aquila, right? And uh, actually Priscilla was apparently the teacher. She's the one that set Apollos correct on some of his doctrinal misunderstandings. And they, their side gig that funded their ministry was tent making, right? That and eBay sales. And so, um, but tent making. And so Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila together We're really a team in planting that. And from our best understanding, the church at Corinth at the time that Paul left and even later on, wasn't like like we think a church. We have a building and you have a parking lot. You got a place to put your donkeys and all that kind of stuff. But our best understanding is that the church in Corinth was most likely meeting in uh, households. And we have a couple references to households, even names of households in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, in fact, we find out the name of the lady who wrote the letter to the Apostle Paul from Corinth. He's now probably about two years or maybe two and a half years out of his pastorate. He dropped off Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus and then went on a little trip. And then when he came back, they had gathered together the converts under the Egyptian evangelist Apollos' ministry. You can read about this Acts 18 and 19. And Paul gets there probably six or seven months after leaving Ephesus. And Paul was in Ephesus for two years. If we understand the timetable right, he's about two years into his pastorate at the height of the Ephesian revival when he gets a letter from, does anybody remember the lady's name? That wrote in the letter? 1 Corinthians 1. Don't Google it now. Chloe. Her name is Chloe. Um, So I'm going to be like really non-Christian right now. Every time I see that Chloe, I think of that kind of melancholy lady on the show 24. You know, that's what I always think of. All right, so I've never seen the show, but I've just heard about it. Okay, whatever. So I only watch Christian TV uh, and movies with Kirk Cameron. That's it. That's all I watch. Okay, so anyway, um, but... uh, but Chloe writes a letter basically saying, Hey, Pastor Paul. She's one of the, the letter came from her household church group. Pastor Paul, remember us. I know you do since you've left. We've got problems. We have doctrinal problems and practical problems. Help us. And 1 Corinthians is a response letter back to the church in Corinth. Um, that Paul had founded, he feels very parental over that, but he's also distant. He's across the Aegean Sea in Ephesus, and he's trying to write back. And then you read Second Corinthians, and you realize, you know, they didn't take it so well, and they got some antipathy there, and whatever. It's a good church fight, and so, but. Um, but Paul's writing back from the height, the apex. I mean, God's moving in power in Ephesus. Ephesus would grow in the end of the first century before some of the collapse stuff. Uh, Ephesus would grow to be the second largest, most influential church on planet Earth outside of Jerusalem. So this is like he's at the top of the mountain. He's in, he's in you know, the World Series there, and he's writing back to the farm team that can't seem to get the T-ball off the stake, you know? And um, and so this is some of the some of the dynamics going on here. So let's look at Corinth for a moment, first century Corinth. Now there is a lot of literature outside of the Bible that has survived from the first century, from the Greco-Roman world. And there's actually a lot of information on Corinth. There's travel logs, there's all sorts of legal documents, and if you're like really interested in diving deep, kind of the guru on first century contemporary literature of, you know, biblical uh, areas would be Craig Keener, Dr. Craig Keener, Um, and so you can check his stuff out and his stuff you can get lost in the footnotes. As a matter of fact, a lot of his footnotes turn into books by themselves by the time he's done with it. But but uh, some some deep dive in this. I just want to give you a little bit of an overview. So let's go to the next one if we can, please. So you are looking, let's put this in context, you're looking at the bottom of Europe. So you got Europe here, and right over here is where the Mediterranean Sea is. You're looking right over here, the southeast area of Europe, and this is Greece. How many of anybody ever been to Greece? A couple of you. Do we have any Grecian folks here? You are a Greek descent. Not a one. Okay. How many of you are sitting by someone that's greasy? I'm trying to find any common ground here possible. Okay. So, and I apologize, my laser is new batteries tonight, so it's bright. Okay. So, Greece is based, this is, this is Greece right here. Over here is Ephesus. This is um, modern-day Turkey, up here is Istanbul or Constantinople. You remember, the Bible says that's nobody's business but the Turks, what you call it. But over here, you have, um, you have Greece. And basically, Greece is shaped like a figure eight. So you have the top part here and the bottom here joined by this little land bridge, because that's a bay, the Bay of Corinth. And this little land bridge, um, do you know what a little bridge of land is called? isthmus right which is really difficult to say if you don't have front teeth but isthmus is actually the word in greek for neck it's a little neck of land so so you've got the uh the bottom uh or the bottom of europe here and then you have the peloponnesian peninsula down here right here you have corinth at the bottom of the neck and then over here after the neck on the base of the top part of of Greece. You have Athens. You have Thessalonica up here. Over here, underneath the sea, would be where ancient Sparta was in the region of Kalamata. Anybody ever heard of Kalamata before? What do you think about when you hear Kalamata? Olives, right? It's even a brand of olives, and it's really great soil and territory. Some of the best soil in the world for for getting olives, so that's really cool. It's where Popeye found his wife, and all kinds of stuff going on there. So you have down here. Now, around this area is very dangerous seafaring. It's all these little outcroppings that are islands. It's all kinds of uh, activities, lots of storms. So if, say, you're over here in Italy, you're in Rome, and you're wanting to come by boat um, in the ancient world, you're wanting to come around here to uh, Istanbul, Constantinople, you want to come through the Aegean Sea, you want to come to Ephesus, you want to come down here to Syria or whatever. This is a very dangerous part of land. In fact, in some of the ancient uh, first century literature, and even prior to that, and then later than that, actually, they write about how difficult it is to get a boat around there half of the year. Because it's just, you know, you know the story. Remember, even Paul had a shipwreck not too far from here. You remember that account? The Bible says, the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew... You guys know your Bible. I don't even know why I'm teaching you. Okay, so, but, um, so this is a real dangerous area. And so one of the things that I, I kind of hit through the footnotes and then, thank God, because it's old stuff. You can Google it and I came up on. Uh, I, I noticed um, in one of these ancient travelogues, they noted that they call this area basically impassable or passable with great risk. And so they noted in this one reference that I read, this one uh, travel log for the first century, they noted that, they estimated that uh, during the the, uh, storm seasons and during the colder months of the year with hyper-temperature changes, that 50% of the boats wouldn't make that passage. In fact, you remember a couple years ago when the Grecian cruise liner ran aground? It was right there. Okay, So it's just kind of a dangerous area. So what they tried to do way before the first century when Corinthians was written, they tried to dig, it makes sense, dig a little canal there, but they couldn't ever get it right and the soils would collapse and all. And there's writing on that too. So at the time of the writing of First Corinthians, they had big slabs of stone pavement across that four and a half or five mile wide neck of land at Corinth, so during the difficult times of the year, you could come through the Adriatic, or from around here, from the bottom of the Mediterranean, here so coming from Spain over here, or something like that, and you could enter the very protected bay of Corinth. And then they'd pick up your boat, only of a certain size, but pretty large, actually. They could pick up your boat with these ancient kind of cranes and blocks and tackles and all this kind of stuff, and then they would drop it on a land barge on rollers, and they would roll across these paving stones with oxen. It would take four or five days, about a mile a day, basically, they could bring that boat. So if you're a merchant, you're like, well, I mean, I've got a boat full of Starbucks coffee and I've got to get it to Istanbul, you know. So, um, hmm, well, okay. So if you're a sailor, you know, it's, it's like, well, it's going to cost a lot of money, but at least I know it will get there. I'm not going to lose my boat, not going to lose my crew. So they would take that more expensive route and have the boat brought up there, put there. And then in the meantime, in the four or five days, the sailors would party in Corinth, Um, This past week we were ministering in South Dakota and I was talking with one of the pastors that pastors right near Sturgis and he's like, I said, I said, man, how are you doing? He goes, well, we got to get home. Still a lot of cleaning up to do, you know, and all those people come there. Yeah, they drop a lot of money in the town for bike week, but they also leave a mess because they don't live there. So they don't have the same sense of care and stewardship that, you know, would have. And so this is kind of the same thing. First century Corinth was a party town. It was a party town in a lot of ways, not only because they had a lot of people going through, and no disrespect to sailors, uh, but, you know, a lot of the reputations are are well-deserved in that time. Then also, the major city in Greece was Athens, and then over here, Sparta. And if you were traveling not only by boat, the large amount of traffic came through there east to west by sea until they dropped the boat on the other side, but also by land. So if you were going from like, you know, New York to Los Angeles, um, or like in Minnesota, you were going from, you know, the two major cities, Minneapolis to Bemidji, then you would, um, uh, if, you, if you were going, you know, to May- New York to Los Angeles, whatever, you would have to pass through Corinth. Corinth. And so this was a transit place. Now, on top of that then, because of all the fertile farms, vineyards, and olives, some ancient proverbs about Corinth kind of let us know some of the culture. So here's one. The wine flows like a river at Corinth. That gives you some ideas, right? And then even more punctual, one of the uh, travel, travel logs has a, has a statement I, I, is interesting I kept on reading it reading and reading it over again because I just wanted to make sure that I read it right the first time but here it is you can't get as drunk as a Corinthian they have pre pickled livers you know they're you know that's a Extra. So you kind of get some of the ideas there. Now, a lot of that also was because of some of the stuff that was there at Corinth. So let's, let's dive and go to the next one. Let's take a look at this. So now you are standing in the ancient area of Corinth, which is down in the, uh, the southwest of that neck of land, the bottom of the neck of land, right rejoins the peninsula. These pillars here are the, um, the remaining pillars of the Temple of Mars, and you're looking to the south. This is the, the little mountain there, the Acra Corinth on top there, and there's a road that goes up around here to get you there, and there's a road that goes up here, and there's trails everywhere, but um, the boats would kind of go across and through here uh, on the land bridge, the temple of Mars this was not Mars's main temple his main temple was in Athens but this was his secondary temple one of his secondary temples and they had all these different levels so this was like if you couldn't get to Athens this was the next best thing basically and Mars is one of those kind of little bit of everything God's God of war God of uh, God of unfortunate candy bars too if you know and so um, so you got all this stuff going on there Mars Mars does things but you would probably, if you if you were passing through Corinth, you and you were a uh, uh, raised in the Greek religious world system, or later when it was Romanized, you would, you would live in that system. You would stop off at the temple of Mars. That's just because kind of you check that box, and then on the road that goes from here up to the Acra Corinth, where the primary temple of the Greek goddess. Aphrodite was. That was her headquarters temple. I mean, that was her Disneyland up there. It's like, be careful with little ears, but Disneyland where you have to have penicillin too, all right? So that's kind of what was going on there. So in order to travel on this road from going to Mars all the way up to the temple of Aphrodite, whose ruins are still up there, there's also a military fortress. And then there was a bunch of other stuff built, but on top of ruin upon ruin. But the military fortress and Aphrodite's temple were the main things up there On that road are all sorts of little idol temples, little Greco-Roman god temples. There's even remains uh, of the Greek god Asclepius, who is the Greek god of healing. And that's always very easy to find archaeologically because um, part of the way you worship that is you go and basically you show yourself to the priest. Hey, I've got tennis elbow or whatever. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, Asclepius will uh, heal you, but I need to see your taxes, please, from last year. So they would assess... How wealthy you were, and then based on how wealthy you were, they would send you out to one of the artisans that were stationed outside. And they would fat if you're very, you know, modest um, income, they would send you to a wood carver who would carve you a wooden elbow, like a totem, not like you're gonna replace it, but just kind of as a symbolic totem. But if you were high wealthy, they'd send you to a silversmith or a goldsmith. And so, uh, or a lot of times, too, some of the stuff in this particular archaeological find is a lot of bone, animal bone, that they've carved, like an eye and some hands and some other stuff they've found there. So it's real easy archaeologically to go, oh, this is Asclepius' temple, because they find all these things there. But based on how this works, um, they would say, hmm, they came on a Maserati donkey, so we're going to send them to the goldsmith. And so, you know, idolatry is a two-way system of manipulation, Right? You are trying to get what you want from that God. And the priest or priestess is trying to get your stuff. And so there's kind of a certain tolerance um, culturally and then realistically of how much, you know, they can take and how much you can put up with. And so there's all these, you got the main temple of Mars, big deal here. And then you have all these little temples you worship. But the main deal is to get up to the temple of Aphrodite, Now, in the temple of Aphrodite, there's a lot written about this, too. And some of this, some of the writings of Aphrodite about the temple and the travelogues and all this kind of stuff, some of it is about two to 300 years before the time of Paul, and some of it is afterwards. So our best guess, we try to figure out exactly what was going on at the time of Paul there, so we kind of figure things out. But one of the things that's written a little later than Paul was that at the temple of Aphrodite, there were no less than 1,000 shrine temple uh, night workers on duty. Sorry, little ears. And so um, the way you would basically worship there is you would go to the temple and you would pay a fee to get in, a small fee, either of, of coins or of a very small animal, perhaps doves or, you know, something like that. And then once you get in, then you would select the Uh, night worker you were going to worship with and that would be a much larger fee or a larger animal and then on the way out when you have the munchies they had one of the most famous restaurants in the ancient world there, stationed at the temple of Aphrodite and they would serve you your steak back for an exorbitant fee and so how many know they get exit through the gift shop right you know it's kind of the way it is and so so with all of this going on um Aphrodite's temple was a place of intense sexual impurity. We have a way of kind of reading the Bible and going, oh, back in the olden days, that was like Jesus and Laura Ingalls Wilder and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and we kind of have a way of thinking that this was all neat and tidy and that this is so much worse than it was then. I personally, after going through a lot of these travelogues and a lot of this first century stuff, reading this, I was like, I think it's worse than we are now, which is uh, not the conclusion that I was expecting. It was pretty much anything goes. There's no rules. And so let's look at the next one real quick. And this is um, the most recent reconstruction of Aphrodite's temple based on archaeological finds. So now you're on the top of that Acrocorinth, and you're looking out over, like somewhere over in here, uh, through Straight through over here would be uh, Istanbul. Right here is Athens. Down here would be the Temple of Mars, and that bridge of land would go like this. So you You get an idea, and even the colors based on the archaeological finds are very, very interesting. This was a big deal, a big deal. And so uh, if we go to the next one, let's just look at a couple things that help us to kind of understand the background in which um, Paul was writing back to that church. He's dealing with people that are recovering pagans. How many of you are recovering sinners, right? So, recovering pagans, but coming from a worldview that has no Judeo-Christian ethic or moral at all. And so, number one, a la carte religion. You picking this God and that God and this God and that God, there's a God for everything? And you go, well, we don't have that. We're in America. But there's a lot of people that have... You know, they've got a church, well, I go to church on Christmas, and, you know, we go to church for a wedding, and we go to church for a funeral, and if we're really desperate, we'll call a pastor, but then they're also out worshiping all sorts of other things, and not even casually like, you know, we say in the most generic, washed-out sense, idolatry, as in something that's diverting our affections. We literally have people that worship Jesus and Mother Earth, right, right? And so we have all this kind of stuff. people well I you know there's a lot of roads to get to Rome so to speak and I don't know what your truth is and my truth and this is all the language of polytheism. And so the ancient time the ancient uh, way of worship and paganism and polytheism, many gods is, there's a God for everything. you got a God for healing. you got a God for, you need help with your grapes. You go to Bacchus' temple. You know, you need, uh, you want, uh, have a baby. You go to Aphrodite, which doesn't make any sense. I think you should go home with your spouse, but anyway. But you, you, you know, you do all the, everything is so pointed towards this. And then, but the underlying theme is selfishness. I want something out of this. And I did a deep dive about two years ago. I read the book of 1 Corinthians Um, through, I don't know, six months, read it through over and over and over and over and over and over over again, because I really wanted to understand it, and sometimes just steeping and soaking in a book of the Bible is the best, for me, the best way to understand it. And what I found out is out of all of the issues the Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians, you know, some of the stuff Chloe wrote him, to uh, you know, misunderstandings about the Lord's Supper, the coming of the Lord, spiritual gifts, matters of conscience, uh, immorality, heaven, all this kind of stuff he's dealing with. Basically, the answer, the crux of every one of them is don't be selfish. It's really the basis of it. And so now I know that we're not like that because we're Americans and we're perfect. You know, No, not at all. So this a la carte religion, polytheism, a God for everything, Aberrant sexuality, well, we don't have that here. You know, the last I heard uh, from a a counselor, there are now 32 genders that are classified psychologically, so that's interesting. And then substance abuse, we don't have that either, do we? Um, Negative view of Christianity, we don't have that. Yeah, I mean, this this is... Some of the, you could classify some of the four major challenges to Christianity in our culture. This book really speaks to us. And honestly, like even the the persecution that was there, basically, in first century Corinth, if you were a Christian, you would be highly persecuted because you're going against the cultural way. You're renouncing all the gods of your family and all the gods of your culture, and you're going for this cultic Jesus, you know, that says, throw out the rest and follow me only, and deny yourself instead of indulge yourself. And I mean, the parallels are just replete. Now, with this kind of worldview in mind, could we go back to the first scripture slide? And I just want to Kind of go over this verses again, and, and let's plug in some of this cultural detail here so we can really understand this. Okay, so now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, matters, issues, it's not, the word gifts is not there in the original. You see, it's italicized. This is bigger than gifts. Paul's like, hey, about these lofty spiritual issues, the things that new people, because he's writing to new people in chapter 12. Remember, chapter 12 is addressed to people that are, that are new to spiritual gifts, Chapter 13 is all about the way gifts should flow through the selfless love. Probably was read at your wedding, but honestly, it's not really about romantic love. I mean, some of the principles are cross-platform, but it's really about the way you're you're used in the gifts. And uh, we'll talk about that. But then chapter 14, Paul is not addressing new people about the gifts. He's addressing people that have been around. And he's trying to tweak them and help them and cause them to grow, which probably all of us, whether we're new to them or whether we've been around for a while. How many have been around a while? You can tell because when you raise your hand, you stretch a cobweb from your elbow to your hip, right? Um, but wherever we're at, this, this speaks to us. So about these lofty spiritual issues, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. That is the best news about this. If you're brand new to the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? God wants to help you. He wants you to understand this is not arm's length and distant, but you just have to understand the way God does things is not the way our selfish mindset would do things. So it's a different worldview. So he talks about worldview here. You know that when you were pagans, you worshiped all these different gods, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. This mute idols business is a big deal because Later on, he's going to talk about some verbal gifts where God speaks through us, his people. And then, in fact, in chapter 14, when he helps people that are already used to get better at it, that's really what he's talking about: verbal communication gifts. How many know God is speaking? So, mute idols, however you were led, by the seat of your pants, whatever the idol priest or priestess told you to do, you were helpless. You they They went to the temple of Bacchus because your grapes were bad. And they're like, well, the reason why is you need to give Bacchus, you know, your tax refund. And you're like, I don't know, you know, but you do it. And then your grapes still die and you're left there and you have no recourse. It's just however you were led. I mean, there's no real system here. You're kind of, it's kind of a a spiritual lotto, isn't it? And uh, so, therefore, I make known to you that God's kingdom is not like that. It's a different worldview. It's a different construct. It's a different ecosystem, and so, for example, just as as flat out as can be, if you really love God, you wouldn't curse Him, and if you curse God, you obviously don't love Him. And it's interesting too because no one would say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's because of the high persecution there. If you were a believer. In Christ, it would negatively affect your employment, your job opportunities. I guess that's the same thing. Um, it would affect your social circles. It, so. Very, very interesting. Maybe there's some in, even in this room or watching online that, that you lost your job because of Jesus in some way. That's happening here. We had a pastor friend uh, that one of his associates in Canada was jailed the last few years um, and uh, unjustly for his faith. So, um, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God would curse Jesus. No one would acknowledge Jesus unless they really believed in him. Because that would enable persecution. Then the next one, um, now there are varieties of gifts, but what? Same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. Varieties of effects, but the same God. Why would that be important? Because you're dealing with a God for everything, specialized God for everything. He's like, this is a different world these gifts flow in. It's not like I can go out and with my Harry Potter wand and curse my neighbor's cornfield and then I'm going to come to church and ask Jesus to bless me. This is, a, this is a two different worlds going on here, and we belong to the kingdom of God, right? That has a different way about it, different ecosystem, different worldview. And there are varieties of effects or outcomes, but it's the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, each person, each occasion is given the manifestation or the showing of the Spirit for common, for the common good. See, this goes against again the pagan worldview. Is well, check out what I can do now. Respect me for that, or give me money for that, or you know whatever, or admire me for that. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. When you and I are used supernaturally by the Spirit, it's, that happens. But it's hey, look at Jesus. Look how Jesus is loving you by pouring this gift out upon you. And I, I, we have to deal with this on occasion and not because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm a novice, honestly, at all this stuff. Uh, I don't know any more than you do. Uh, you just reach up to Jesus and you try to love him and pray and you try to love the person. And, man, sometimes you see the glory of God coming in power. I mean, we've seen over the years just on the healing side Unbelievable things happen, but not because I knew it. I oh, come here. Let me when I now when I whack you on the head, I'm going to put a little English on it, you know, and say the right thing, and you know, and hang on. Let me let me charge my spirit, man. You know, okay. Here we go. All right, now. You know, I mean, that's just baloney. Jesus said pretty plainly, without me, you can do how much, right? And so there's it's not based on skill. So why would we expect people to look at us differently when we're delivering what God has for us. In fact, delivering the mail is probably the best metaphor for how these gifts work. You know, if you're the mail carrier, you didn't write the letter. You're not the recipient of the letter. You're the middle person that is providing the service, thankfully, and, thank, and mail carriers here, thank you for delivering anything but bills. Um, but, but you are simply taking what the sender has sent, and you're going to the recipient. Here you go. And a lot of people, when they're using the power of the Holy Spirit, they're like, hey, check me out. You know, out of all the people in our church, God picked me to prophesy. You know, I've always wondered if I was God's favorite. Maybe I didn't even pick pastor. Oh, I must be more spiritual than pastor, you know. And it's amazing how the selfish mindset of the old life We can say metaphorically or the pagan life, which is probably true, before Christ, that selfish nature can infiltrate, and we can be trying to operate in the power of the Spirit with the old pagan worldview still at work. And what happens then? Corinthian problems. That's how you can have people trying to yield to the Spirit turned into something ugly. That's not the ideal, right? Right? So he goes on, the Holy Spirit's behind each manifestation, and it is given to benefit everybody else, not necessarily the person that's being used in the gift. So then go to the next one, please, and you'll notice a lot of these keys here. Um, For to one or one person is given the word of wisdom through whom? Through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Different gifts, same Spirit origination. To another, faith by the... Same spirit to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the effecting of miracles. Uh, Next, please. And then we've got prophecy, distinguishing the spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, in the pagan worldview, you would say, oh, well, if I have this power then I can use it whenever I want to. And we, sometimes we hear people that, uh, maybe even Christians that come from a background where they haven't had a lot of teaching on the ministry of the Spirit, and maybe they don't, don't even believe in it. Believe it or not, there are some Christians that think the Holy Spirit's tied up in a nursing home right now and drinking and sure, and uh, doesn't have any power anymore. But, um, of course, we know the Bible doesn't declare that, but there's a lot of people that don't understand the moving of the Spirit that say, well, so, so if you're used in healing, then why don't you just go empty a hospital? Well, that's not how the mail carrier does things. You can't deliver packages and letters that you don't have. If the sender entrusts you to them to do it, then you can do that, but each gift is each manifestation of the gift, each moment it happens, is a unique gift. It's not like he gives you the power, now you can just go prophesy whenever you want. But when he finds someone that's open to that and he wants to gift in that way, then you can reach up and say, Lord, what do you have for me? And you can press in and seek. And when you find what God has, then you can deliver. But if there's nothing there, nothing will happen. And so it's interesting, you know, the, the, again, the worldviews is a whole huge, huge issue on all of these things because the pagan worldview is what led the Corinthians to problems in the gifts. Now, probably today, we have a much lower amount, frequency, of the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. Probably where most of us are is we need to be chapter 12. Hey, new people, get in this. Put your toes in the water, lean in, listen, and that's kind of the approach we'll get. Um, On Sunday night, we'll deal with just a, a few of the issues that are for those that have been around and maybe help us a little bit. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as you want. No, oh, just as he wills. So let's, let's just break into, uh, we'll just dive into the first category. We'll hit the other two tomorrow. I was just checking my time. Oh, you got a massive good night clock right there. Okay, I didn't see it. So <laughs> when we look at um, these nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit, uh, traditionally, if you read a lot of literature on this, traditionally people break these up in three categories by function. And I believe this is based on actually 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, verse 2 where Paul in verse 1 goes, okay, so if you have one gift, but you don't love people, it cancels out. But then the next verse, verse 2, he kind of breaks them up by categories of revelation of or speaking of revelation and of power. And so that's kind of how we'll do. But we're just going to look first at the revelation gifts. Let's hit those real quick. So when we look at revelation gifts, there are three gifts that are associated with supernatural knowing. And so uh, how many of you have a brain? Okay, about half by response, and so, you know, a lot of people, because we we long to be used by God, and and we want to, you know, be involved in those things, a lot of people look in the wrong spot for revelation gifts. They look in, well, you know, I noticed, you know, this and that, and then they kind of work things together, and, and they go, well, that must be God, and it could be. We want God to affect our thinking. But these gifts are more overtly supernatural. There's an, some kind of an in-breaking typically. It's typically not the end result of logic and observation and process. And, oh, I saw that, No, oh, well, I've been stalking them and this is what, you know. And it's not, that's not the end of that. And there are people that try to gain self-prominence by being Snoopy and then saying, oh, well, I knew that, that was, you know. That just means you're a big liar. And you're trying to put it off that it's God. And that's a problem, because how many of you know lying is not one of the attributes of Jesus? All right? In fact, it's the attribute of the devil, who's actually the father of lies, whose Jesus said his native language is lies. So we're going to be really cautious. These things are holy and sacred, and we don't want to play fast and loose and round the corners and let there be a collision or a superimposition of worldviews. We want to purge out the old and allow the purity of God to flow because these are very sacred, powerful things that demonstrate God's holiness and love for other people. And so uh, that was a good spot to say amen. Bummer you missed it. Um, no, no, it's too late now. Don't, don't... So Revelation gets So these, these reveal in, in just a fragmentary way God's all-knowing nature. We kind of go, you could say on some level, thinking God's thoughts, not assuming God's thoughts, but kind of just a little bit of knowing. There's no, where all of a sudden you can crack God's hard drive, hack it, and you just know everything. You can get in the back door through some code and just know, oh, I want, you know, that's not how this works. It's only what he wants you to know. And it's never enough to satisfy any curiosity that it stirs, but it's always enough to get something done in the kingdom of God and so uh, this this uh, paul does not give any specific definition of word of wisdom is and then he so we're kind of we're at a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a quandary on to, to define empirically what these things are now we do have the other places in his 13 different letters where he uses these words so we kind of understand his personal context uh, of of how he uses words so our best guess, a word of wisdom, which would be Logos Sophia. Sophia we use as a girl's name. It means wisdom. But Logos is the idea here um, of of not the whole pie, but just a piece, a portion of, a distribution of is kind of the idea. It's like a little bit of a matter is kind of the the idea. Uh, A little bit of wisdom, specialized wisdom. Now, Probably, if you've served the Lord for any length of time, it's very likely you've already been used in this. These are very, very common. Um, it is, from Paul's teaching, it is true that there will be some gifts that you'll see reoccurring in your life. And even of four gifts in particular, Paul says not everybody's going to be used in those, um, including public tongues and interpretation, which all the shy people go, thank God, right? But, um, but there are some gifts that appear. Paul says, for example, everybody can prophesy. You know, we can all pray one for another that we may be healed and operate in healing. And so there's a fluency, and probably most of you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably have encountered a little bit of wisdom supernaturally coming to you. Um, We don't know exactly what this is, but our best guess is kind of the way Paul uses wisdom is either to speak of a collected body of understanding or kind of knowing what to do about it or about something. So maybe you've had one of those moments where you just suddenly knew that you needed to do something, you knew something, uh, and you maybe didn't know why. Uh, we see this all the time in protection moments. Maybe, you know, you're just pulling out of church and you just know for whatever reason, you're like, oh, I'm taking the back way home. I just, I know I'm supposed to. And you find out that God helped you in some way. We st- Protection. You don't always see the other end of this, but we've seen this time and time again. There was even a time in one of our meetings, we were preaching the uh, district council for the Iowa district and the assemblies, and during that, in the child care, this a couple of years ago, in the child care, um, there was in the nursery of that service. Um, there was a young child about two years old that was kind of playing all by himself in the corner with one of those like play school benches with the little screw you can wind up and down up and down and the other kids were requiring pretty much all the attention of the workers but he was really happy and content and one of the nursery workers said I felt like literally like all night long like God was doing this to my chin to draw my attention to him and at the end of the night I look over And he's kind of belly up on the workbench, and he's doing something. And she thought, I'm just going to go check on him, because she said, I just felt like God kept on inclining my attention. When I got over there, he was purple and blue, and one of those screws had come out, and he had put it in his mouth. And, I mean, it was just seconds. And she picked him up, and the screw popped out, and he started breathing again. And, I mean, oh, my goodness. Thank God for the nudges from the Holy Spirit. And honestly, whether or not you recognize it as a gift from the Holy Spirit, or it's just a God showed me, God helped me, That's probably pretty cool. Either way, as long as the job gets done and others are helped and benefited by it. Word of wisdom happens all the time. Matter of fact, think about that. Um, What are some of the most complex circumstances you're in right now? Typically, they end up typically being relational or circumstantial. Maybe you have a complicated job issue right now or you have a complicated housing issue or you're facing this, you're facing that. But typically, the things that cause people most stress are interpersonal relationships have you asked the Lord, Lord, I know I can't make you tell me, but Lord, I just want to incline my ear. Is there anything that you would want me to know that would help this issue so you could receive glory more in this way? And that approach, you know, what in your heart of love do you have for this? Um, That's a way of kind of putting your antennas up. And and listening. We'll we'll talk more about the practical side on Sunday night, tomorrow night. So then we have word of knowledge, so that's logos gnosis basically. So it's again a, a little bit of a matter a portion of Gnosis information is the kind of the best way uh, we kind of define this and, and it's very related to word of wisdom. As a matter of fact, a lot of these gifts kind of overlap and congeal together like hot gooey cherry cobbler. You can't tell what the crust and what the sauce and what the cherries are because it's all kind of run together. You know what I'm talking about? That sounds good, doesn't it? My grandma Enlo used to make sour cherry cobbler. She had a sour cherry tree in her backyard, and it was some special variety of man, you th- but then she would compensate with buckets of sugar. Oh man. Uh, just get diabetes just thinking about it. So, um, but word of knowledge. So basically, um, again, we're not exactly sure, but our best guess on exactly what this is is when God just gives you a little bit of knowing. Maybe you'd think about it, you know, God dropping a noun on you. Um, and now think about it. How many of you would say there's been a time in your Christian life where you just felt kind of out of the blue you were supposed to pray for somebody? okay. These are words of knowledge. They didn't come from your observing or whatever. They came kind of bubbled up in the inner being. Maybe some of you have been awakened in the night. Maybe we have some intercessors here, and this is like your life. Um, God's guiding you in this way, or God showed you you just needed suddenly, kind of out of the blue, not the basis of logic, reasoning, intelligence, thinking, but out of the blue, out of the inner being, out of the spirit, you felt this, hey, I need, to call some, I need to call this person, or I need to do this, or I need to pray about this. And so we see these things happening. Um, we had a, a real interesting uh, encounter here a couple of weeks ago. So when we're in North America, we typically travel in our bus. And so it, I keep it nice and shiny, but it's really old. It's getting ready here very shortly to turn 20 years old. And so, but uh, we try, to, try to keep it up and keep on top of it and everything like that. But for whatever reason, I'm guessing it was two months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, not feeling like I had an angelic visitation or a dream, but I woke up in the middle of the night saying, "I like really weird thought, uh, um, I need to re-examine again what it is like, what you do when you have a front tire blowout on a vehicle like this. So I have a Class A license, you know, we're Kansas, whatever, and that's necessary. You have to have air brake endorsement weight because it's like 52,000 pounds or whatever. So I have to have all these different things on there, and I took all the classes. I used to have a CDL and all that stuff. And so I rem- But it's been a long time. I'm like, I need to remember because if you have a front tire blowout in a vehicle like that at highway speeds, um, it's dangerous. And a blowout in general is dangerous, but it's just dangerous. So I hadn't had those thoughts Ever. We've been in RVs for since the beginning of our ministry. So I've not thought about that. It's just not been an issue. Woke up, I needed... Ch- so that I remember that. When I woke up that morning, I went and I uh, did a little Googling and found the things and found the instructional videos. And it was interesting because it's counterintuitive. When you have a front tire blowout, you want to slow that thing down as quick as you can. But if you slow down with all that weight and inertia, what happens is whatever tire blows out, the opposite end swings around, and then with all the inertia, you just roll side over side. And so many, when I began to look at it, so many people die in RV and bus accidents when they have front tire blowouts because of that. I bet I watched that video, the instructional thing from the NTSA, probably eight times over the last two months, because I just thought, and again, I didn't feel it was God. Um, The end of August, we are driving, we're in Oklahoma City, we're coming back from Oklahoma City, right up 35, um, back to our home in Wichita, Kansas, after the Sunday night service, like a two and a half hour drive, we're five minutes away from our house, and all of a sudden, kapow, I mean, it sounded like a bomb, the tire underneath my driver's seat blue and all of a sudden the whole thing starts careening this way and I mean it just kicked in because you, what you do is you throttle it you don't back off you lit, put gas to it you know not gas but diesel to it and uh, and it gives you the power to maintain your ability to straighten out and then you can kind of meter how you can very carefully slow down but it gives you the ability to steer now I told you a lot of details but right now my heart's pounding because I'm reliving this because I mean I want to tell you I probably should have swung by Walgreens and got some Depends that night before I drove because it'll scare you a little bit, you know? And, um, and I'm just telling the truth here. And so, you know, pulled over and destroyed the wheel and all that stuff. And But but it was totally Jesus because we were going, I mean, the Kansas Turnpike is, you know, 75 miles an hour and we're blazing on trying to get home. Now, I wasn't speeding, but I was going all, all of 75, 52,000 pounds down the road. And Jesus had nudged me and prepared me through his great grace and help. And Rochelle and I were, I mean, just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because it just sounds so weird. Now, I know it's probably not a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to us, you know. And uh, that's just one of the ways. But he wants to help us. And then finally, you have discerning of spirits. And this discerning is, is uh, diacrino, diacrisi. So it's dia, it's through, like diameter. And then the idea of searching, it's not the idea of this is God and this is the devil per se. It's, uh, and it could be that, but it's more like, who's behind this? What force is behind this? What spirit is behind this? Even Jesus would say to his disciples right before his arrest, you don't know what spirit is motivating you right now, what spirit you are of. And so it's important because we have not only Jesus, but we have the devil, and then we have our own broken, selfish humanity in the mix too, And to kind of know what's behind something helps us. And also later in Paul's writing in in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 19 through 21, he also uses similar language to discuss discerning prophecies. And so it's kind of like, oh, you kind of sort through it. We kind of categorically think it's all God or it's all the devil, but very often it's mixed, isn't it? You have a person that has... We all are broken. We're, we have our mixtures going on. We're trying our hardest to serve the Lord, um, but, you know, we also have our own broken worldview, and you probably have heard it when someone's given a prophecy or something, and like the first half of it was really good, and then it went bonkers at the end. It's like, what do you do? You sort through it. You eat the meat and spit out the bones. Maybe the same thing. Maybe you've received prayer by some, you know, I've... I, Lots of stories on this, but someone praying for you and they're really a powerful person in the spirit. You really sense God's presence, but they're also at the same time, they've got you in the Vulcan death grip and they're trying to push you on the ground. So is that the devil? Is that Jesus? Is that the person? Well, hopefully it's not the devil, but it's probably Jesus and it's the person's brokenness because they're trying to get some kind of significant feedback that, hey, or validation. Look what happens when I do things for the Lord, which honestly is the least important thing ever, right? In fact, wouldn't the greatest compliment be if you had been used in some gift of the Spirit afterwards, you accidentally overhearing someone, that was really, really powerful, and I don't even know who was used in that? Wouldn't that be like the greatest compliment possible? And so uh, we'll we'll dive in and we'll look more at these on uh, on Sunday night. But I want to I want to just uh, tell uh, just real quickly kind of my quick journey into some of these things. Um, I had I had uh, read this book Smith Wigglesworth, Apostle of Faith. You ever read about him, the British plumber, and uh, using the power of God. And then after that, it kind of stirred me because it's really apparent his. You know, lack of ability and lack of understanding, and he was timid to speak and all these things, and God used him so profoundly. And then, so I read kind of the next thing in line was a book of his collected sermons that his daughter had transcribed from the front row of his meetings called Ever Increasing Faith. And there's chapters on the, every one of the gifts of the Spirit through there, and they're mostly stories, but very, very inspirational. And so I was a 15-year-old kid, and weird circumstances, I was in a different state with my dad at a different church I'd never been to before my dad was ministering there. So at the uh, that night, before I went to bed, I read the chapter on the Word of Knowledge, and when it was all done, I put it down, and my dad's already snoring in the other bed, uh, and I go, okay, God, so... I'm 15 years old. This, for whatever reason, has really stirred me. And I don't know if that's like desire from you or if it's, you know, selfish. I don't know. But God, if you, I mean, I prayed the most tentative prayer of willingness. God, if, you know, if you're ever in a spot where I'm around and anyone else that could be using a word of knowledge and would be really good at it isn't there or they say no or whatever, I guess it would be okay with me if, you know, you would use me as long as you're cool with me making a mistake, you know. I mean, it was that tentative, for real. The next day, we're at the service. My dad ministered, and at the end, he had prayer time, and people came forward and, and were praying, so he asked everyone else to come down and put a hand on his shoulder and pray for people. I mean, typical Pentecostal church prayer time at the end. So I'm over here uh, I, facing the back of people's heads, you know, because I'm kind of behind, and so there's a lady in front of me, never seen her before, never been in that church, never been in that town, don't know her, don't know her name, anything like that. I put my hand on her shoulder, and I just start praying like a 15-year-old shy, like I really want God to work, but I'm also super self-conscious, you know. Uh, I call it the Charlie Brown teacher prayer, wah, 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 wah you know. And so I start praying that, that prayer, and, you know, the oh, Lord, help her or whatever, you know. And all of a sudden, while I'm praying, not a, I wasn't honestly, I wasn't trying to figure out why it was there, because it's that time, it was that time in church when you're like, hmm, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch, right? I mean, I'm just being real. I wasn't, I, was, I mean, I was caring for her because I wanted to pray and wanted God to help her. But I was also kind of just kind of doing what the culture was demanding in that moment. And, and not in a wrong way. Just, you know, let's pray and then we'll do something else and go. And so, but all of a sudden out of this different spot, like not, hmm, I wonder why she's here. Because that puts the attention on your brain and logic, and that's typically where the gifts aren't flowing. And so, but instead, out of that warm heart where you feel God's presence, all of a sudden this thing came up, bubbled up inside, she's here because of her son. And so I thought, well, that's really vague, you know, and i, I were like, oh, you read that chapter last night. And now you're trying to whatever. But I couldn't escape that I had like no interest at all in the specifics of what was behind that. So it started me to pray, and I've always been hyper-analytical, so I still have my hand on her shoulder, and I'm still trying to pray out loud, help her or whatever, you know. But there's a big noise. There's music playing. and There's probably a couple hundred people in there. And I knew she couldn't hear me. And so I was like, well, there's only one way to know if this is God. So I thought, you know, when we're leaving right after the service... And I'm 15 years old, if anybody's going to make... So I, I, I thought, well, I just need to peek once to see if she looks old enough to have kids. So I look, and I saw, I saw she had a couple gray hairs. So I was like, okay, well, it's probably, you know, because I hadn't seen her face. I didn't know. And so I raise my voice, and I go, um God, and hopefully loud enough she can hear me, because I want to see if there's any validity to this. And it wasn't like... Anything, you know, like thou shalt have 27 babies or sell your house and move. You know, it wasn't anything. It was just like she maybe is concerned about her son. So her son's in trouble. So I raise my voice and I go, um, God, uh," you know, and I don't remember the exact words, but the content of it was, um, if she like, I don't know, maybe is sort of kind of concerned because maybe sort of kind of her son might be, I don't know, and maybe something like trouble Help her. I mean, it was that vague and teenagey and whatever. And she immediately, her shoulders start like, like she's crying. And so right away, my brain kicks in, my analyzer kicks in. Well, how do I even know she heard me? It's loud here. And I thought I was loud enough she could hear me, but maybe I wasn't, and maybe she just started crying. So now I was really kind of oh, here's a word you never get used, befuddled. I was befuddled, right? And so um, I. I had my hand still on her shoulder. I'm getting ready to pull it off because it's just kind of really uncomfortable and it was very vague and I didn't have any resolution and I was like, ah, whatever. I'm getting ready to pull my hand off. I mean, all of this is like less than a minute to this point. Getting ready to pull my hand off and all of a sudden, same spot, gangs and drugs. And I'm like, well, I mean, if she's got a, a son... And, you know, and we're kind of was outside of New York City. I was like, oh, that's probably a pretty high chance that would be the case. I'm trying to judge spiritual prompting with intellectual observation. Now, you people are too smart to try that, right? But isn't that our default setting? Hmm. You know? And you can't do it that way. You judge spiritual prompting by the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit, not your intelligence and observation. So... I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, I just got to try it out. So while my hand's on her shoulder, I go, um, okay, I lean in just a little closer, not creepy, but just a little closer because I want her to hear me. I turn my voice up, and I go, okay, same kind of tentative thing. You know, um, maybe, I don't know, she has like a son, and he's in trouble, and I don't know, maybe he's like perhaps mixed up in gangs and drugs. And she's still kind of crying from the first, and now her crying intensifies to where she kind of hunch, hunches over like this. My hand's still on her shoulder, and she's just shaking. I can hear her sobbing and crying. And now I'm like, I'm out of here. There's no, because I don't know if she's, you know, you don't know what, how people are responding to God, and you don't even know if it's God. She might have just been cutting onions before church and happened to rub her eye. I mean, you know, for real. I mean, honestly, you don't know what's going on. And so I'm getting ready to walk away and pull, my, and then God drops the other shoe on me. And the name bubbles up right here. And it's a name I've never heard the specific derivation of before. Um, it's not like Tim or John or Joe or Mark or whatever. Um, it's related to Frederick, but it's, I knew right away, I could tell you how to spell it immediately. Very bizarre thing, Frederique, Q-U-E at the end. So right away, my brain goes, Frederique, that sounds international. Is it, I know Frederico, Frederick, Fred, Freddie, Frederique, that, and my brain goes, that sounds French. And I remember, this is so dumb, but I remember opening up my eyes to see if she looked French. And I don't know what I was looking for. if She would have like a beret on and a baguette under her arm. Or, I mean, but, but it just shows like typically, at least for me, I don't know about you, my default setting in trying to judge spirit promptings is my wise intellect. It's just the wrong, it's like trying to open up a can with a hammer. You know, it's the wrong tool, you know. And um, so right away I'm like, okay, forget it. There is no chance in the world. I don't even know if that's a guy's name you know I don't, I don't even know and there's just no way and then but the more i stood there and this is this part's maybe 30 seconds while i'm processing all of this again god giving me the ability to say no because he's not a bully and in my brain i'm going well you know what I, but i need to know and i'm just a kid if i get it wrong i'm just 15 you know it's not weighty i haven't told her where the holy grail is or that she needs to sell everything she owns or you know what i'm saying It just felt, it felt kind of like a benign thing, but I mean, serious for her if it was indeed true, but um, I was, it was a big risk for me personally because you run the risk of being misunderstood or being confronted or whatever, but I was like, okay, so I leaned in even closer, and I turned up my voice to a level that I thought there would be no doubt she could hear me, and I ran through the whole thing again. Lord, if, um, I don't know, I'm trying to hurry to get to the name, she has a son, and I don't know. He's in trouble, or and maybe he's mixed up in gangs and drugs. And this is—I remember saying these words so clearly. I can they? Because a little bit of trauma butterflies come up. Uh, is and Lord, if for some freak chance his name is—and then there's a gulp and a pause. Frederique. Eh? And before I could, say, continue help him or whatever I was going to say, she spun around and grabbed me by my shoulders and shook me and said, how do you know my son, Frederike? Where is he? Is he okay? Is he okay? And I'm going, oh, I, I, I don't know. Honest lady, I'm just trying to pray. you know." And while I'm trying to respond to her, she's dragging me over to the pastor. Which, at like 15 years old, that's like being taken to the school principal, you know? <laughs> and... Um, She drags me to the pastor, and I'll never forget her words. Pastor, you know how my son, Frederike, got mixed up in gangs and drugs, and he disappeared two months ago, and you've been standing in prayer. You know how this morning, before this service, I stood with you and your wife in your office, and we joined in a circle, and you prayed from your mouth, God, give this mother a sign that her son is alive and that you care and that he's coming home. And the pastor called us the next day. And said, Frederique came home on Monday morning. Now, I don't know about you, but that was probably because I knew what I was doing. <laughs> That's because God loves to give supernatural giftings through people who don't know what they're doing, but who are inclined to him saying, Lord, show your kingdom of glory to benefit other people through my life. I don't think that lady ever knew my name or anything about it. The big deal was Jesus showed her his love and concern and met the need of her son. And so this is how How many would like God to use you in more supernatural ways? Why don't you just stand up with me? It's late again. It's midnight. Just right where you're at, Just would you just lift your hands up to God as a stretch for a moment because you've been sitting there. Stretch out yourself, all right? And then pull them back down. And then if you'd like to, I'm going to ask you in a moment to reach to God, and could I get um, Pastor Nick? And could you sneak on up here? You're awesome. Thanks, man. Man, worship is so good again tonight. Wow, so good. Um, how many of you parents have kids? Alarming numbers of them do it. Really, is sweeping America. But did, were you there when the kids took their first steps, and that whole process? You know, come, come on, in. and what happens? They kind of—they're in those footy pajamas and they're doing the bambi on ice business, you know. And you got a parent over there like the drunken sailor kind of a thing. And sorry, I'm no—not trying to be derogatory against the sailors tonight. It's happened twice, but um, but finally when they when they get from one parent or to the other or whatever whoever's doing it, what do they do when they when they finally get to the spot when they see you? Their hands shoot up, pick me up, daddy, right? Or pick me up, mommy, you know? And Out of a childlike openness to the Lord, would you reach to your Heavenly Father tonight, if you'd like, and would you invite him to draw you closer, not only in your personal relationship with him, but in your ability to join his mission and deliver his mail? Come on, lift your voice with me. Jesus, would you use me for your glory? Draw me near, draw me near. Help me to hear the whispers of your Spirit. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. I want you to use me for your glory. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, teach me. Teach me. Help me to hear you through a biblical worldview rather than through the selfish worldview and the cultural worldviews. I want to be used by you. I'm not looking to get famous because of this or other people. It doesn't matter. I just want you to be glorified. Let my life be like a big magnifying glass for you, Jesus, Brothers others just see you bigger. Spirit, I thank you that you use these gifts not only publicly when we come together, as this chapter in the Bible suggests, but I thank you, Lord, that you also speak to your people about the most urgent needs upon our heart, and you give us wisdom and help and grace even in the circumstances and even complicated circumstances that are in our lives. So I invite you, Lord, I'm asking you over this great church or these amazing folks that have gathered on a Saturday night. I'm asking for a very specific thing from you, Lord. And I, I know it's your will. I pray that every person in this room that would lift their hands and lift their voice and ask you for it in just a moment, that you would grant them the most clarity in their ability to hear your voice, your promptings, your leadings, clearer than ever before I pray God for a season in fact that your voice would be louder clearer, stronger than any of us have yet experienced in our lives. Stir it up Lord stir up, provoke us to new levels of hunger stir up hunger in us to lean in and listen. before we just go to general prayer right where you're standing would you think about what is what are some of the most uh, difficult circumstances you're facing? Would you invite the Holy Spirit to send any revelation gifts that he might have for you in those areas? Thank you, Lord. Teach me. Teach me to listen in the right spot. Listen in the place of your presence. Teach us, Lord. Put the training wheels on this bicycle for us, I pray cause us all to grow in listening and following the leading of your Holy Spirit, however you send it. Help us to identify, let it resonate in our heart. Lord, I pray that in the next few days, weeks, even months, that you would send healing to families and brokenness in families because someone in this room is leaning in and listening to your Holy Spirit. And even though the prompting you give comes from the inner being, not from logic, but that prompting in the inner being might even be a little counterintuitive. But after prayer and contemplating the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit, they're convinced this is what God wants me to do or not do. This is what He wants me to say or not say. Let families be restored because of revelation gifts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just slow down with me just for a moment. Just just lean in. Just lean in. done for me, Lord, there's just nothing I wouldn't do for
1: you, whatever you have. Thank you, Jesus.
0: I'm just sensing the Holy Spirit saying that he wants to minister to to people who are hurting tonight, and um, it's probably a big ask, but it's just us here, all the mean, judgmental people stayed home. So just us here tonight if you've been battling with um, anxiety um, some panic stuff it's really really hit you hard and i know people are like i don't want to go up there everybody's gonna think the worst people always think the worst that's what the people do okay so part of receiving from god is your humility, you're giving permission, all right? So I'm not saying serial killers or something like that come up here, right? We're talking about normal human experience. If you're struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, that kind of stuff, or you've been dealing with overwhelming discouragement, depression, um, you're struggling in those ways. I wanna ask you just quickly come and just stand up across the altar, come, come, come. You wanna stand in for someone? That's totally cool too. You got a loved one that's not here, uh, just come real quickly, real quickly. And when you get here, um, just just tell it to the Lord. Just through whispers or quiet prayer, just talk it out to the Lord. Lord, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. It's either my life or a loved one's life. All right, come on. There's more that need to come. Just you, lots of room. You can spread out here. All right. Then I'm going to ask. As as just begin to retrust the Lord with it. Just talk it out like you were telling it to me. You know, don't take 10 minutes, but just, you know, give God the the nutshell or this is what's happening. I'm gonna ask, I need just as many, if not more folks that are up here. I need just as many more to come and put a hand on a shoulder and just intercede and pray and lean into God. The Bible talks about us bearing one another's burdens. And the beautiful thing is when you come up here and begin to pray, you're gonna feel helpless. So what do you do when you feel helpless? You call on the Lord. Again, prayer is the normal way people receive from God in the Bible. So we're going to pray we're going to call the lord if you've got someone in your life and you're in your seats you've got someone in your life that you know they're battling in this or you suddenly just feel an urgency to pray for them i'm going to ask you to do something above and beyond that if you think they're still awake i'm going to ask you to call them on your cell phone right now if you bubbles up in your heart and just go real easy hey we're in church and we're praying for needs and i just thought about you would it be okay if i prayed for you If you get the voicemail, you can say that exact same thing or text it to him, whatever. Just say, hey, just text a prayer or call and leave a prayer. And let's get some of the ministry outside of this church. That's a really easy way to take a step of faith, all right? Come on, let's just lift it up to the Lord Jesus. Send your grace. Now just slow down and trust the Lord. Lean in, lean in, lean in, lean in. I love you, Lord. I love you. If you're in your seat and you're feeling a compulsion to pray with someone just be obedient just listen follow that leading right now you might need to walk across the aisle and go pray with someone join hands and call the lord just lean in and listen try to obey the spirit's promptings advantage of that he never breaks a bruised reed the bible says i can just hear the lord just speaking over this church building tonight i love you 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 thank you for your goodness what you're sensing inside the presence of god maybe you can't even define it he's revealing himself to you that's a revelation gifting he's showing you his presence and his concern And sometimes it's not even important that you're able to specifically transcribe it. Just feeling his arms around you. Let you know it's gonna be okay. He's looking out for you, yeah. And sometimes God does that. I, you know, it's not the only thing He'll heal. Sometimes He just kind of gives just a, a sampling for people to really step in and begin to believe Him. But if you need a healing in your knees, would you just hold one hand really high, a knee or a knee? You don't have to move. Just lift it up. Hold a straight arm, all right? All around this room. Keep it up just for a moment. If your hand is not up, Would you look over and find someone that has a hand up and just go put a hand on their shoulder and begin to pray for them? You're gonna feel really helpless, but that's why you're calling on the Lord. If you're praying about something else, that's cool. You stay right there, but look around. If you see someone with a hand up, we're just believing the Lord to come and do just real quick here in these few moments, just a couple million dollars of knee surgery. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. things in life that I think you can likely hear very quickly from the Lord when you ask him but this is one of them and I challenge you maybe even before you leave this room it's a minus question and a plus question a subtraction and an addition question the subtraction question is Lord what in my life if I would remove it or reduce it I could hear your voice better and those things may not even be sinful. It just may be something of a matter of how to incline and lean in. Maybe some of you have done a fast or something like that, you know, when you kind of reduce the noise of the appetites of flesh and the input of the world around you, um, you know, it enables you to hear God. The minus question Lord, is there something that if I would remove it or reduce it from my life, I could hear you better? something to contemplate. And then the plus question, Lord, is there something that I would add or add more of in my life? I could hear you better. And if you ask him those questions, it's very likely you'll begin to hear him. And maybe in this very moment, or maybe even tonight before you go to bed, or uh, there are things that will bubble up inside. Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us to take intentional steps to lean in and incline ourselves to hear you. We hear the world's messages every day all around us. It's just screamed at us. But I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to posture ourselves to hear your voice and receive revelation, not only in a gifted way to help other people, but in our own lives, and our own circumstances. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I keep on feeling God's healing presence too. Do you feel that? You're aware of that? Just such a sweetness of the Lord here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm feeling God's power in my left hand very strong and wrist. I'm not sure what that is, but we've God is healing something there. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray if there's anyone with some sort of chronic inflammation issue, chronic inflammatory issue, a condition in their body that you're just setting things right, right now. Setting things right, I believe the Lord is just resetting the immune system of the body so it no longer acts too much at the wrong timing. And God restore order to bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Strengthen people, strengthen, strengthen your servants. Thank you, Lord. I feel God's power in my neck to appear. God, just touch your people. Just feel a warmth there. Just minister your love and your grace, Lord, and way beyond what even the small things I'm aware of that I sense, I believe, by your spirit. Come and do exceedingly far above. Thank you for
1: it.